listening to me? What do you want to do with your life? I want to rock. Well, I came apart, the child of God. He was walking along the road. And I asked him, tell me, where are you going? Mr. told me. Said, I'm going down to last us far. Gonna join in a rock and roll there. Got to get back to the land, set my soul We are Stardust, we are Golden, we are a billion year old carbon, and we gotta get ourselves back to Rock Talk. Yes, this is Rock Talk, where we talk rock and roll all night and podcast every day. We are your hosts, John Otney. And Colin Westman. And we're talking Woodstock, the 50th anniversary of the most important music festival of all time. The most important thing of all time. The most important thing that ever happened. To, to a certain demographic. <laughs> to a certain demographic. <laughs> um, one of the most pivotal pop culture moments of the 60s. And to celebrate, we watched Michael Wadley's 1970 documentary, Woodstock, The Director's Cut. <laughs> Uh, which we will break down band by band. But first, Colin, are we going to Woodstock 50? Uh, no. Why not? I don't know. I don't know any way that we could pull it off unless we throw our own Woodstock 50. Because the the actual one that was planned for this month is not happening. Fuck. Yeah. You haven't heard? <laughs> Do you know why? Um, it sounds like they just, it sound, a lot of it sounds like it had to do with permits. Like they couldn't get a permit to put on, you know, a, a giant festival in like anywhere in New York. And then at some point they tried to put it on at a... It was Meriwether Post Pavilion yeah. in Columbia, Maryland. Yep. And at that point, I think I read that they said they're just going to put on for free, which I don't know how that... <laughs> works that's just like firing every direction see what works like, yeah. i don't are artists even gonna come if it, it's free although i think some of the artists might have gotten paid already so weird I didn't no know matter what that. they're just getting paid i'm not sure i don't know if they're not getting paid if they dropped out like the black keys did or <laughs> all the other artists that eventually dropped out like i wonder if you still got your paycheck if you Hung in there till the very end when Woodstock 50 officially got canceled. I don't know, man. It's a big mess, messy mess. And I feel like Michael Lang is even like, well, maybe in the fall we can kind of get something to get there. It's like, <laughs> I don't know, man. Like, it just doesn't sound like it's going to happen. And even though I'm sure this is like a bunch of corporate fuck and oh, this totally. is just like boomer catnip. Well, there's a lot of contemporary artists for the most part, but I was thinking and like, does the fact that Woodstock 50, like it's not happening, does that make you sad or do you not care? Not really. I don't really care. I mean, for some reason it makes me kind of sad. I mean, it's definitely not that special considering there was Woodstock 94 and Woodstock 99. Which effectively killed the Woodstock brand <laughs> and now we we have it like as official that it killed Woodstock forever. But Woodstock's just, it's such a, the original Woodstock, it's just so special. And 50 years is a big deal. 
But I guess, like, yeah, the fact that there were those other ones, like you're saying, killed it, so it doesn't really mean anything anymore. It's just, like, a nostalgia cash grab. Or maybe not even so. Like, I don't know that it's a cash grab to Michael Lang because of mm-hmm. the free thing. It seems like he genuinely just wants to do it. Yeah. Um, so I don't know. You know who I feel bad for? Greta Van Fleet. If there's any bands that really wanted to play Woodstock, you know it's Greta Van Fleet. They were on that bill. They didn't drop out. Yeah, it's like Zeppelin didn't get to play Led <laughs> to get to get to they play Woodstock, up. but they're gonna do it. Uh, Fulfill the prophecy. I'm sure there's a fascinating story there. Maybe more to come, you know, in the following months. Yeah, I feel like there's a, a fire-type documentary <laughs> there's a, there's somewhere a in there. There's a Netflix documentary in the works here yeah. that we're going to get to the bottom of. I uh, guess, I, yeah. I don't know if it would be as interesting of a documentary, because fire, like, kind of happened, but in, like, a really yeah. bad, <laughs> underdeveloped way. But Woodstock, just, like, they didn't quite yeah, get to the point. Yeah, <laughs> It was a pretty impressive lineup, though. Yeah, for sure. Black Keys, Jay-Z, all these huge artists. And they brought back a lot of the older guys. John Fogarty was going to be there. Hmm. Whatever's left of The Grateful Dead was going to be there. <laughs> yeah. So it is a little bit of a bummer, because um, it's crazy to me to think that people that play the original Woodstock are still alive to play <laughs> a sequel festival 50 years later. That's pretty crazy. Yeah. Um, but yeah, we'll, uh, we'll learn more about that in the, uh, the Hulu documentary. <laughs> Seem to come, but we're talking about the original, uh, the original movie from 1970, Michael Wadley, um, director's cut, 224 minutes. Oh yeah, and it felt like 224 minutes. How do you think we should go about structuring this exactly? How are we going to do this? I think I'd be okay with just going through it band by band, even though. I think a thing that is interesting about this documentary is I don't think it's just. The performances that make it interesting like for me it's almost like a documentary about an anthropology experiment as much as it is yeah. a rock doc because you see what happens when all of these you know peace-loving hippies get together in one spot and like these little pockets of society that kind of form at this giant gathering and and the way that the the cameras capture that is kind of just as fascinating as the performances are even though the performances are very good and the way they're filmed is also pretty incredible did you know there was going to be as much behind the scenes as there was in the film because i wasn't sure i figured there was some at the beginning but for some reason i thought once the show would start it would just be that it would be the bands yeah i think i read about the documentary a little bit before watching it and i think i read some people saying like well the the best thing about it is the stuff that happens in between the the artists um which yeah is is good stuff so before we jump in i guess i could provide a little bit of background just for anyone if you don't know about it because I found it kind of interesting. I didn't really know about how the festival came to be. So Michael Lang, we already mentioned his name. Mm-hmm. Um, pretty young. He's like 25. I don't know how he managed to pull that <laughs> off. But, you know, uh, just a few years out of college, he put together the Miami Pop Festival. I think that was in 68. And uh, that had some of the same bands. Mm-hmm. And he moved to Woodstock, met Artie Cornfield, And they're like, we should do a recording studio and a festival. They didn't do the recording studio. <laughs> they didn't do the festival. I think they called themselves like Woodstock Venture Group. Yeah. Uh, but then they didn't have it in Woodstock, which I find incredibly confusing. That's something I didn't 
I wasn't sure, like I was super confused about. So I'm hoping that there's someone else out there listening to this who I can clear this up. That, that was just Woodstock was just the name of their group. And they were based out of Woodstock, New York initially because they're into that Woodstock sound. Yeah. Which was like Bob Dylan and the band, I guess. Yeah, yeah, that's, this would have been a little bit after they recorded uh, music from Big Pink and uh, the basement tapes in Woodstock. I guess the sound they're describing is like Americana folk, kind of, I don't know. I guess. <laughs> and uh, so they put this together in Bethel, Bethel, New York, on Max Gasger's farm, dairy farm. Quirky, fun old dude. Seems to be having a blast. <laughs> Makes an appearance in the film. And then this is where the film begins with them assembling the stage. I didn't realize yeah. they were filming that early on. They were like, right away, they're like, this is something big. We better get on this. Like, like you literally see everything built from the ground up. Yeah, no, it's kind of a miracle that this film <laughs> exists. Because I don't know that anyone was expecting it to be this huge generation defining event I don't think so. and i i also do have to think to an extent maybe the film is kind of a reason for the 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 festival's kind of <laughs> looming presence in in the uh the hippie era but uh yeah i mean there had never been a, a festival this big there had been kind of big music festivals i guess like monterey pop was in 67 which also has a documentary <laughs> In the Criterion Collection. Yeah. This should be the Criterion Collection. It would have been way easier to, for me to... I don't know if it would have been easier, but I would have preferred getting a Criterion than watching it on Redbox <laughs> On Demand, which is what we did. Yeah. The hell of a service, by the way. Yep. Just get a shout-out. Hopefully they can, we can get some advertising. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah, we see the construction uh, of the stage. Crystal's Nash, long time gone. Then we have the gathering of the hippies traveling, going up the country, canned heat. Yeah. That's pretty fun. And uh, then what's really striking is we get to see the stage being assembled at night. And I'm not sure if we see it beforehand, but that's, at least when I started to notice the split screen, which this movie mm-hmm. is a lot. Yeah. And I wasn't sure going into it if I'd like that, because I'm like, is, that go- is this going to be distracting, being looking at two different sizes of screens? How did the split screen work for you in this film? I thought it was great. Because I... Cause it- it's a movie that's not, you know, there's no plot. <laughs> it's just about putting you in, like, the experience of living those three days and seeing the sights and the sounds. And I feel like seeing, you know, things from different angles at the same time, it it just makes you feel even more like your experience at Woodstock. And I think it works really well for the performances, too, because... You know, it kind of reminds me of when you're watching a live performance. It's like you can kind of choose which member yeah. of the band you want to look at. And so when you have three panels showing different parts of the band playing on stage, you you know, when you're watching the movie, you can choose which band member you want to look like or, or look at. And then you can switch over to the, <laughs> the drummer, the lead singer, the bass player. I don't know. Yeah, I thought it worked really well. But I, yeah, that technique, I don't know. <laughs> That it would work as well in a narrative film. I guess we were watching uh, that movie uh, Grand Prix the other uh, yeah. the other night, which yeah. seemed to use it. I think this that was a little bit before Woodstock. 
Well, I was going to mention uh, Taking Woodstock, Colin. Sorry, I, Martin. I haven't they seen it. That. They oh, paid tribute. That's if you not ever surprising. want to see a movie about how some guy lived near Woodstock, <laughs> and like it kind of affected his family, but like not as much as other people. Yeah. And then he got high and didn't see any of the bands. Mm-hmm. Taking Woodstock's the movie for you. Did that, did that movie come out around the 40th anniversary of Woodstock? It did. Okay. 2009. I didn't even think about that. So August 2009 is when that came out. I think. Yeah. So in 99, we got Woodstock 99. This year, we almost got Woodstock 50. <laughs> and in 2009, we got Taking it Woodstock. It just keeps getting better and better. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, we're, we're really getting um, a sense of the world here with all this early stuff. It's very cool. And then we get our first performance, which is Richie Havens, a uh, folk musician who I pretty much only know because of Woodstock. Mm, yeah. I think it kind of put him on the map. And I think uh, a big part of that is... So apparently he got there before a lot of the other bands. Mm. And he played... He was like on stage for a while. But there's a certain point where they're like, uh, other bands like aren't here yet. Can you like keep playing? Like, can you play something really long? Yeah. And this is kind of like the defining moment of his life yeah. where he whips out... Freedom, which I guess was kind of like um, an adaptation of like an old, more traditional folk song, mm-hmm. Motherless Child. And yeah, he basically just kind of uses the skeleton of that and builds a whole new song out of scratch. <laughs> yeah. And it's crazy because if someone, you know, if I didn't know beforehand, because I, I, that's something I've known for a while, I wouldn't have thought that it was a song that was made up on the spot. It's pretty amazing. Hmm. Like and he's just like strumming so fast and like walking all around the the stage. It's just it's a it's a great way to set the tone for the for the whole festival. Yeah, and, and it also kind of has the quality that a lot of these performances have, where the the cameraman was clearly just like on the stage right in front of him, so it feels extra intimate, even though it's this festival with hundreds of thousands of people there but you feel like you're right on the stage so, there. i can't imagine i mean he had like a few people out there uh, behind him but it was mostly just him like on a stool with his guitar with thousands i can't even <laughs> imagine what that would be like yeah and he fucking he fucking nailed it and i think we see one other song but it's freedom is mostly what we're focused on it's like 10 minutes long i feel like all the songs are like 10 minutes long everyone gets a <laughs> Gets their time, yeah. and he makes the most of it. And yeah, that's really all I know known for, but what a thing to be known for. <laughs> so pretty awesome. Yeah. And uh, okay, so we're watching the director's cut. So yep. I'm seeing now, just kind of glancing, that the next performance in the version we watched was a director's cut exclusive, mm. and that's Canned Heat. Oh, yeah. Um, a change is going to come. Colin, did you have any... Do you have any history with Canned Heat? No, I just know that... Uh, What's it called? Ro- rolling Up the Country? Going Up the Country. Going Up the Country, <laughs> yeah. And no. they have that, and then they have like that On the Road Again song, which feels like the same song, but like slowed down a lot. Mm. On the Road Again. I got into um, Canned Heat for a brief period because of the movie Forrest Gump. Nice. Uh, you love that movie. I'm wearing a bubble gum hat right now. Sweet. <laughs> and uh yeah the song uh let's let's get together mm. get together come on come on because kind of the interesting thing about can heat is and maybe you could tell this or i don't know if you know this, they have two lead singers so that's why 
some songs have that more traditional blues. It's that fat guy with the ponytail. Yeah, it makes sense. And yeah. then the lead guitarist um, sings like, oh, no, no, no. he has that voice. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. <laughs> so he has the going up the country song, and you know he sings most of the, the more popular kind of hits. But they're like a blues band. And yeah. I'm glad the director's cut highlighted this band because they seem like they're having a blast. And they seem like probably one of the lesser, like, uh, less... Uh, I'm trying to think of a way to say lesser cool. <laughs> lesser cool bands. Sure. Like, they're just a bunch of schlubby guys. Yeah. But they're having a just great playing time. playing the blues. And I think the most memorable part of this performance, uh, the song is a change is going to come, is some dude, like, just gets up on stage and uh, and takes the singer's cigarettes. Yeah. And he's just like, yeah, go for it, dude. And they're just, like, got their arms around each other's shoulder. It's, you know, <laughs> it's indicative of the, the spirit of the thing. Oh, I was trying to remember everyone's name. Yeah, the uh, Can Heat ever had a nickname? Okay. The, the big guy's Bob the Bear. Right? <laughs> <laughs> and uh, the other lead singer is Alan Blind Owl Wilson, hmm. um, who died a year later. Wow. At the age of 27. He's part of the 27 Club. Yeah, okay. Because, so, yeah, there are two other people in this documentary that died like a year later. I know. And he died in September of 1970, same as Hendrix and Lake. Wow. So it's crazy how many people died so soon after such a pivotal event. Yeah. Crazy to think about. So, can't eat, little director's cut, little fun, little fun. <laughs> going to Joan Baez. Yeah. Who I guess just did a solo acoustic set. I guess when you're a folk musician, that's what you do. What you I've do. never really listened to a lot of Joan Baez. Have you? It seems like you might. Not a not a just time. by way of Bob Dylan. Yeah, and they're like a thing, right? Yeah, I, um, he toured with her a bunch. I think. Yeah. yeah, they dated in the mid '60s, and she she was even in the uh, that Rolling Thunder documentary I watched a little bit, and she. <laughs> Like modern interviews, or yeah, there's there's some modern interviews. Oh. She's also interviewed in the that No Direction Home Bob Dylan documentary. I don't know. She just yeah, seems like one of those people who's just like always there at the the pivotal moments yeah. in the '60s. I'm she sure knows. she was. She knows I'm sure she was at the the Martin Luther King March on Washington, and she just yeah, she's just she's just one of those people. She seems like she's got plenty of good stories to tell about the '60s. And she can really hold the stage by the fact that it's like pitch black, thousands of people, just her and her guitar. She does um, Swing Low, uh, Sweet Chariot, like acapella. Acapella, yeah. That definitely takes some guts. Yeah. So that's pretty amazing. Uh, But I I do find like the folk stuff isn't quite as, I'm not as invested as some of the more rock stuff i don't know it's because it, it, yeah. i don't know it's interesting it's interesting because it's a nice change it's, it's of pace much, i guess it is kind of nice to have but, that um, ebb and flow because it's weird to have such an intimate performance it's such a huge thing but i guess that's yeah. what makes it special also this was a you know like one in the morning <laughs> so yeah i'm sure people wanted some some mellower music oh, before I they went to list. bed i have a list open of the actual times that everyone played because uh the film You'd think watching the film that it's all in chronological order, but it's flipped around all over the place. Yeah. Uh, but I can tell you, yeah, Joan Baez played from 12.55 a.m. to 2 a.m. I'm looking at that list You're right looking at that, too? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, crazy, man. Uh, and next we get The Who. Oh, yeah. 
It's always surprising me that The Who played Woodstock for some reason. I don't know why. Just because, like, mm-hmm. I guess today they seem so big. You know, it's like hearing the Rolling Stones play Woodstock or something. It, it's weird to think of a classic rock band like The Who at this very hippie like thing but i mean they played Isle, right they played big festivals yep i don't really know what their level of popularity was in 1969 i mean probably they were probably huge they're probably kind of big but i don't i mean i don't think they were like rolling stones um i don't know bob dylan big are they like racking tours big I have no idea what that means. <laughs> Do you mean Raccoon Tours in 2006 or Raccoon Tours now? They're pro- you know what? Honestly, Raccoon Tours in 2006, probably a pretty good comparison to how big they were in 1969. Uh, yeah, because uh, Tommy was, you know, it was their big breakout. I, I don't know how close it had come out to this performance i'm sure it appearing or them playing see me feel me in this film probably did quite a bit for for that album and and them as a whole um i'm pretty sure i've seen this performance before i think it's included in uh the kids are all right it seemed familiar yeah yeah and i thought i read somewhere that like the who didn't want to be filmed and that's why this was one of the few songs they actually recorded you see that's interesting because while i was watching this um because i don't know if we've established this, that the who played all of tommy yeah and i was wondering why did they highlight this particular moment is it because this was just the best footage they had or this was the best part of the performance and i guess what you're saying it sounds it like sounds this is just the like footage that it's they had all they had and then they go into uh, Summertime Blues, which is always fun. I mean, yeah, man, to see John Entwistle do his scary <laughs> parent and then scary politician voice. Sounds like a monster. Can't help your son because you're too young to vote. Yeah. I would kill to see all of Tommy at Woodstock. That'd be cool. I bet it's on that... Uh, they just came out with a ginormous Woodstock CD box set uh, of like all the performances. I'm sure it's on there. Yeah. But uh, yeah, no, no film on that. I one. I mean, they're fantastic. I just, I guess, I just wish there was different. Not, I mean, I like those songs. But I, I wish there was different ones that I could see. Like, I wanted more, or at least I wanted a different song. Like, yeah, they're, they're good ones because there's no bad ones. I mean, yeah, the Who are just like. I've always thought they're the best live band ever. They're just so fucking exciting to watch, just because like the you know they're just putting everything into it. All four members are doing a totally different thing that seems so chaotic, but it like works at the same time. They're just thrilling. So it's like yeah, every time you watch one of their live performances in their prime, it's like you want more. <laughs> so fucking good. Uh, which could also be said of the band that played that uh, next. I'm not sure exactly what date it was, but that was Sha Na Na at the hop. Yeah, which is, it's always kind of the joke that people make about Woodstock. <laughs> is like, well, it wasn't that great. I mean, Sha Na Na played. I feel like even in high school, we made a, a joke at Sha Na Na's expense in a video. Like, why did we, as like teenagers in the mid-2000s, even know who that was? No. Uh, I, I, I still don't I, really know who they are. <laughs> I kind of do. Okay. The first time I ever heard about Sean and I was a joke on The Simpsons, yeah. where uh, they had a flashback where Homer went to Woodstock as a child because his mom was a total hippie, but his dad was also there, <laughs> and his dad was like in a suit sitting in a, in a chair, and he just going boo boo, 
bring on Shanana. And then he holds up a like a big poster that says Bowser for president because Bowser is one of the members of Shanana. <laughs> uh, to my knowledge, Shanana was a nostalgia group. That's so weird that Ooh. 50s nostalgia was already happening before the 70s. I know. That's like doing a 2000s nostalgia group now or like doing an 80s nostalgia group in the late 90s. <laughs> it's very confusing. Mm. But yeah, they're basically like, hey, what if Grease was a band? <laughs> Had Grease and... even come out yet? The musical? No, prob- no. Probably I mean, not. No, but I'm no. just using it as a comparison. I'm sure they were actually they're inspired. Just, they're just that ahead of their time. They were, yeah, they beat Greece to get the punch. Yep. And uh, I I think I looked it up. It was hilarious. They played at like 7 a.m. whatever day they played. Uh, mm. Or some ridiculous time. Like, let's see if I can find Oof. that. Yeah, they, that's weird. It comes so early in the documentary because they played 7.30 a.m. on the last day. Yeah, be- he- before Hendrix. <laughs> that's his lead-in. Lead yeah. And uh, so they have like two guys in kind of gold... I don't even know what material it is. Just these golden outfits dancing. Yeah. And then the band behind them. It also feels appropriate because the footage of them is not as good as it's the like other so shitty. I don't know if it's the version we watched or what, yeah. but like it's so grainy. It looks right. like it's shot on a potato. And, and I mean, they're having, they're doing their thing, man. Mm-hmm. They're having fun. They're goofing around, but they're just not right for this thing. It's bizarre <laughs> that they played. I don't know why they were invited. I guess it's just one of those easy ones to fill in. I mean, hey, yeah, they they did they knocked it out for what they do. <laughs> but what they do probably shouldn't have been at Woodstock. No. Oh, well. Do you think you'll check out more Shauna Na after? No, no I'm good. <laughs> you're shaking. I got I got my fill from from this. All right, man. Yeah. So are we going to Joe Cocker and the Grease Band? Mm. I like this performance because it's the one thing you would want to see Joe Cocker oh, yeah. a little help from my friends <laughs> uh, that dude's always fun to watch <laughs> yeah Just twerking all over the stage hand. it always looks like he's like trying to like play a bass yeah <laughs> not really it's I kind never, of kind of playing air guitar. I've never looked that up to what that is if that's just what happens to his body or if it's like there's there's some logic behind those <laughs> movements you know these are interview somewhere of him describing his thought process when on stage yeah, you know he's in his, he's in his tie-dye shirt he's, he's fucking belting it um the grease band not super impressed by their backup vocals <laughs> that was something that i kept noticing this, like, this is the one weak spot in the song that was yeah. actually better than what it was when i just did it, it was <laughs> good job it's just not as good as the recording. I'm surprised he didn't get some like backup singers to fill that out. Mm. But I don't know. That's something that I wish I'd done. Is kind of read um, about each band's like how they heard about it, their prep, or you know, just their whole process getting to Woodstock and everything. That's not really something that I looked into. You don't get a whole lot of behind the scenes with the bands before they go on or anything. No, not really. You get some like stray shots of like Jerry Garcia. With like a like a cigarette or a joint or something, but yeah, yeah really just glimpses. I, I guess because it's like it's so much more interesting to just see them take the stage than to see them like dick around backstage. Yeah, be like, hey man, this is pretty groovy. Look at all the people, man. And I also do wonder how much kind of prep time each artist had. It, it, it like it, to me, it seems like 
everyone's just flying it at the last minute <laughs> to, to do their performance. I don't know. It's like the end, and the end of Wayne's World 2. Did you, did you see Wayne's World 2? Uh, it's been a while. Well, because like the end, they're like, no bands are going to show up. And they all show up at the last second Aerosmith shows up. Yeah. Oh, they called it Wayne Stock. It's Wayne Stock. <laughs> Dude, they should have Wayne Stock. <laughs> Let's do a Kickstarter for Wayne Stock. For Wayne Stock. Who plays at Wayne Stock oh, other than Aerosmith? I don't know. I can't remember. Alice Cooper. That would make a lot of sense. Oh, I'd go to Wayne Stock. Yeah. Get a, what, like Adam, Adam Lambert and Queen to play Bohemian <laughs> yeah, Rhapsody. Yeah, yeah. Just the only one that was in there. Um, Paul Simon, I guess. They do some, a lot of... Because uh, he's friends with Lorne Michaels. No, just they do a lot of Mrs. Robinson. Oh, that's right. They do like a rock rendition in Wayne's World. And yeah. they have like a, a parody of the... The, like the last, the last third of yeah. <laughs> the graduate the is just the last, yeah. Just the graduate. Uh, Wayne's World. What are we talking about? Okay, yeah. Talking about uh, Wayne Stock. <laughs> <laughs> uh, someday, man, someday. Uh, looking down my list, uh, I guess the, it felt that the crowd rain chant was worth noting. That stuff was kind of cool. Is this the kind of interlude where... You know, it started raining yeah, yeah. and everybody has to take cover and just mud everywhere. Yeah, that was that was quite a thing. I do find that interesting because, you know, rain can just like straight up ruin a festival. Yeah. Like, I think I, what it was that Miami pop festival, but I was reading about some other big festival that it just rained second day and you're like, all right, we're done. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> so, like... Like the most pivotal music event of all time is going on, and then you have this rain and you can't perform during it. It's it's pretty dramatic. Yeah, no, it it even adds more to like the <laughs> the communal aspect of of this whole concert is people it's like you know taking cover, hunkering down, but then uh, you know getting back out there, braving braving the mud. To... It made the mud, man. Yeah. What what. Would Woodstock have been without the mud? People are slipping and sliding around, getting naked, just rolling around. That sounds like a good song lyric. <laughs> Ooh, it's like, it doesn't matter. Okay. <laughs> rolling around the ground. It doesn't matter. Around, just like Country Joe and Fish. No, no, I kid, I kid. They went on next, uh, in the film at least, playing rock and soul music. This is one of those bands who I feel like kind of died with the Woodstock era, at least as far as I'm concerned. Oh, I, yeah. I don't know anything really about them. <laughs> Do you? Not really. I just know that they're, you know, one of those San Francisco psychedelic bands, I guess. I, I'm honestly blanking on that whole performance. Yeah, me too. It's, it's, I'm sure it's fine. <laughs> just, didn't, uh, just didn't leave much of an impact. Sorry, Country Joe. Yeah. After Country Joe was Arlo Guthrie. It's funny, when this song started playing, Coming Into Los Angeles, I feel like it mostly kind of plays over footage of the of people and stuff. I don't know. I can't remember how much we actually got to see him playing on stage, if any. Yeah. It seemed like arriving. And it was during that song that I was totally spacing out. I was like, what? Who is, what is this? Who is this? What song is this? <laughs> How do, why don't I know this? For some reason, when I was watching, I was like, maybe this is Arlo Guthrie. And then you looked it up, and I was like, yes. Even though I don't know much about Arlo I, Guthrie. The only thing that I was like, who does this sound like? Yeah. And I thought it kind of sounded like uh, like the box tops. <laughs> but I was like, mm. I knew they weren't there. Yeah. But it had their like kind of style. 
And then when I found out it was Arlo Guthrie, I was like, man, I gotta check out Arlo Guthrie because I was totally digging that. Coming into Los Angeles is very mm. kind of yeah, kind of cool. Like I always assumed he was more traditional folk. Yeah. I didn't know he had that kind of more hippie. I mean, obviously he's a very famous hippie, but that more kind of hippie dippy <laughs> psychedelic side. I was shocked the song does not have Wikipedia. I wanted to know more about it. Mm. Like I'm like, do I need to hear that album? Like, should I finally <laughs> listen to some Arlo Guthrie? I've never listened to Alice's Restaurant. Have you? Nope. Is that on the Rolling Stone top 500? Not to my knowledge, but it seems like maybe. people talk a lot about it. Like it's a pivotal album. Yeah. I guess just for him. I, 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 it always comes up around Thanksgiving, I guess, because apparently that's like a Thanksgiving-themed song, Alice's Restaurant. Does that, does, that, does that have anything to do with a movie? They made a movie. Arthur Penn directed a movie okay. called Alice's Restaurant. With That was based off of the song that had God. Arlo Guthrie and I think Pete Seeger was in it. Okay. Um, I assume it's just a bunch of musical interludes and I guess there's some, the act. I don't know. Yeah. It's it's yeah it's definitely like a blank spot for me. So watching this um, got me curious. You know, I should probably learn more about Arlo Guthrie. He's pretty young. He's like twenty two. I guess most of these people are pretty young, which is a crazy thing to think about. Yeah, it's like I wonder who the oldest person who played here was. I guess well, Ravi Shankar played, but he's yeah. he's not in the documentary. Who's the oldest person in the film? I don't know, man. Everyone seems around the same age. Yeah. Um, maybe there's like an old dude secretly hiding out in Shauna. Like a guy who's actually from the 50s. He's like, hey, this is a good idea. We should do this kind of music. Yeah. But yeah, dug it. Uh, and then Crosby, Stills, and Nash, mm. at this point in the film, our third dose. Their fingerprints are all over this. Thing. Yeah. <laughs> you know, uh, probably them and one other artist for me, like, define this, this festival. I'll get to that artist when we get to that artist. <laughs> okay. <laughs> uh, to the point where I was like, oh yeah, let's just get more and more Crosby, Stills, and Nash. I would have liked to hear do, more. Do we just get Sweet Judy Blue Sweet Eyes? Sweet Judy Blue Eyes. Okay. I mean, that is an eight minute, seven to eight minute song. It's such a, yeah. It's crazy that they just played that all acoustic. It's, it's such like an intricate song, but yeah, you, know, you, you can do it. so great. Yeah. That's the highlight of it. Um, it almost feels like it's more than just acoustic. It just it feels so much bigger than it is. Yeah. But I, I think I would have liked to see more from Crosdells and Nash because I was looking up later and they played an electric set too. They played for hmm. a while. Neil Young joined him. Yeah. And that 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 was something that I want to look up that got me confused. So it's like in the movie they said this was their second gig because the album caught in May and this was August. Yeah. That year. Well. Neil Young was at their second gig. So by their second gig, they were Crosby, Stills, Nash, and Young. It makes me wonder, was Neil Young also at their first gig? Did they even play a single gig as just Crosby, Stills, and Nash before they became Crosby, Stills, Nash, and Young? I'd love to know. Mm. I mean, that's one of those things where it's like, why would anyone care except for somebody who's really into that band? But I am genuinely <laughs> curious. Yeah. And it's crazy to think now that this film had Neil Young like, he performed at this festival and is not in the movie. I, I think he's also like Pete Towns and someone that didn't want to be filmed for it. Because he's too rock and roll. Because, yeah, when some of these guys don't show up, I do wonder, yeah, is it, what was the reason? Was there not good footage? Was it, uh, 
probably a little bit of both. Yeah. I don't know if we want to find a spot to talk about the bands that aren't in the film. Maybe we could do that at the end. Sure. Okay. Uh, but yeah, man, Crosby, Stills, and Nash, they fucking nail it. This is them at their peak. And I love them. One of the few bands at this uh, played at this festival that I have seen. Me too. Yeah. Well, I, I saw them with Neil Young yeah. around the time of living with war. Hell yeah. That's crazy. That was just a year after I saw them. They were torn quite crazy because they're not a thing like right now. Yeah. Um, also, like a thousand years ago. <laughs> I always thought it was funny that like Carson's Nash was my dad's first concert. Mm-hmm. And then I saw them like 40 <laughs> years later. Yeah. Uh, man, just just doing it. Uh, okay. So then after that, uh, 10 years after, I'm going home. Oof. Pretty excited for this. It's home. definitely a band I equate with you. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Specifically you. I don't remember how I got in at 10 years after, but I was in at 10 years after in high school. I think it was... I used to go up and look up those lists on... I think that maybe it's Ranker, one of those lists you'd, you'd type in like best albums of 1970, whatever, mm-hmm. and they'd populate some arbitrary ranking. And I think one time I was looking up uh, 1971 and I found <laughs> A Space in Time by 10 years after, and I got super into that album. I still love that album a lot. It's I think mm-hmm. that's their most popular album. It's got I'd Love to Change the World, which you'll usually see in like. The trailers for Michael Moore movies and stuff. <laughs> Very kind of hippie revolution type song. Mm-hmm. And then I started doing it, going backwards and doing a deep dive through all their other albums. I have, I have like three, I physically own three <laughs> 10 Years After albums. How many other millennials in the mid-2000s owned a 10 Years After album? Probably like two. And I think I eventually found my way to I'm Going Home. So I was familiar with that performance on YouTube for a while. Were you watching it like right when YouTube came out? I don't know. 2006, Probably 2007. a little bit later. I, yeah. I'm not sure. Um, but man, that is that is quite a guitar performance. Yeah. Like, I mean, it, Alvin Lee, I feel like, is a very underrated guitar player. He's fucking shredding that thing. There's also some, some great bass energy from multiple bands. <laughs> like, I feel like Can't Heat, the guy... <laughs> the bass player's rocking, same in this. Just fucking rocking up and down that that neck. It made me think about how much blues there was at Woodstock, whereas I feel like yeah. if you had Woodstock 50, or even just looking at Woodstock 94, 99... You're like a lot more pop much. artists. Yeah, so it's kind of interesting. I guess a lot of those guys were so inspired by the blues it's so close to when the blues was uh, a big thing that yeah. such a presence in the music scene so it's interesting because i don't feel like that's as much what people take away from the music of the 60s i feel like they take more of the pop stuff you know the beatley the beatley stuff from it or or the straight up soul music but the blues kind of gets lost a bit i think yeah a couple guys doing it yeah black keys Jack White. Yep. And that's it. Those those you guys. Pretty, pretty those, those much. Guys. Yeah, I'm going home. I think it is a little long, and I think it it does lose a little once he like kind of stops playing guitar and just kind of like whacking the guitar. But mm. he's like getting everybody like stoked and singing <laughs> blue suede shoes for some reason. Because why not? 
There is a part of me that wonders if some of the artists were milking these performances and playing them longer because like people backstage were like, well, uh, Jefferson Airplane's not going to be here for another two hours. Just play a little longer. When you start that sentence, I wonder if you're like, oh, man, we need to show off. Well, that too. I, mean. I was wondering. I wonder if it's both. Or, or I bet a big part of it is we need to fill time. I think that's probably the bigger thing. Yeah. We need to fucking we need to fucking fill this four a.m. spot. Yeah, we need to get as long as possible. And it's interesting because this is back when people weren't really playing two-hour sets. No. <laughs> people usually still at this point just played like a half hour to an hour, and, yeah. and then they left. But once you get into the seventies, that's that's when the the longer performances start to take over at live shows. Yeah, I'd love to know like the deal with I'm Going Home because it's not a song that's on any of their albums. Mm. It's just like a cover that they just pulled out. Yeah. Like this is, like you want to listen to that song, like you you listen to the Woodstock performance of it. That's yeah. the existing version of it. So did the, just pulled that out. Did the Hoover do a studio version of Summertime Blues? Is that only on Live at Leeds? And, I think, and I don't know that I've here. ever heard it not live. Yeah. I think because I, I have the 30 Years of Maximum R&B box set. Yep. <laughs> and it's definitely a live version. Yeah. That. So. That's another one. Good catch. Good catch. Yep. <laughs> yeah. I'm going home. Love it. Uh, Jefferson Airplane. I think mm. this is another director's cut performance. I think so. I guess all of it. I can't remember why. Probably something having to do with management not getting paid enough for their music to be in the film i don't know i know that was the deal with janice joplin because i think she had the same manager albert grossman as the band he also managed bob dylan and he was like no what dick you guys aren't gonna be in the movie unless i get a bunch of money a dick. Yep. Uh, i like jefferson airplane fine but i wish they'd play one of the hits yeah <laughs> these are too deep of guts like they play this saturday afternoon song and it's like Pretty sloppy. <laughs> Granted, yeah. they're playing at like 8 a.m. And like, you, it's probably pretty hard to get that focused and play a good show. Oh, yeah. I think they said something like, it's morning manic music or something. Yeah, maniac music. weird. I don't know. Like, I was like, oh, they're probably going to play Volunteers. Because that seems like the... And they did play it at Woodstock. But that just mm. seems like the perfect song for them. <laughs> Maybe they totally fucked it up or something. But it just, I don't know, it's a little weird. There's the one song even where Grace Slick's just off to the stage watching the rest of the band. Like, she yeah. doesn't have, like, a tambourine or anything. I think, like, the guitar players singing. It seemed like a lot of people in Jefferson everybody, Airplane were singing. Yeah. Everybody in Jefferson Airplane sings. That douchebag manager guy probably sings a couple songs. <laughs> Who's that douchebag manager? Like, oh, Albert Grossman. Well, I don't, I don't think he was Jefferson Airplane's manager, but uh, maybe he just maybe he just took the song. stage like fuck it. I'm sick of this song. You guys aren't cutting it. Yeah. <laughs> this will be in the film. Yeah. But yeah, they're fine. They don't blow me away. Um, but yeah, I don't know. It's it's fun. I guess mm. it's, it's what it is. <laughs> Uh, next, John Sebastian. This mm. is basically it's like watching your dad uh, cosplay as a tippy. <laughs> Probably so, one of the so much tie dye. Like if you have a ranking between like cool and not cool, he's definitely like pretty close to the bottom. I like John Sebastian. I like the Love and Spoonful. Yeah. I guess they've broken up at this point. I'm not mm. really well versed in 
John Sebastian post yeah. Love and Spoonful, even though it seems like he had a moderately successful career and hung around a lot of hip people despite not being very hip himself. Mm. But they highlight a pretty nice moment. He plays a song called Younger Generation. Mm. And this is when the film shows all the children that are at Woodstock. All the babies. Why are there so many children at Woodstock, man? Because <laughs> people are just like fucking all the time. I think there was like four four babies were born at Woodstock or something. Jesus, man. Yeah. I'm pregnant. Let's go to this big open farm with mud everywhere, <laughs> no food or water, and have a baby while Shaanana is playing. It's just like, this is the free love generation, but they also didn't figure out condom so you know what happens when, when when you put those two things together you get babies i'm trying to think of people who are born around that time that could have been like a baby at one stock paul giamatti <laughs> okay dude I'm for a movie. Baby. uh baby paul paul giamatti's head put onto a baby body at woodstock i gotta get i gotta get up there <laughs> oh man it's just loud Oh no! Somebody put LSD in my bottle. <laughs> Sounds great and terrible. I'm gonna scribble this down um, and send it to Paul Giamatti. I'm scribble this at a legal pad and send it. It's to called the Bong Baby. I Bong. That's a ex nationally approved Bong Baby. Sorry, Paul Giamatti and Adrian Brody because I see you can get them. Yeah, sure. You can play Jimi Hendrix. It'll be really inappropriate. <laughs> I feel like he'd be down for that. <laughs> yeah, nice, nice moment in the film. Mm-hmm. Uh, fucking country Joe takes the stage again. Sure, why not? I do like. Uh, I, I guess there's this thing among their fans that they do called the fish cheer, where they're just like marijuana. <laughs> That's kind of fun. It's a fun thing to chant. Yeah. But yeah, I don't. I don't know. So I don't get it. They're fine. <laughs> I guess they just wanted that marijuana chant. Yeah. Uh, but it doesn't matter because we go right into one of the most memorable performances at Woodstock, Soul Sacrifice, Santana. Santana. Everyone's just fucking soloing. It's amazing. Yeah. I think most people talk about that drummer. Um, let me get his name. Michael Shreve, who I think had recently joined the band. He was 19. <laughs> and he has a big solo. And he kills it he's amazing he just yeah. looks like clearly it's like near the end of the set or maybe their last song and he's just drenched in sweat <laughs> and you know it's crazy thing about having a, being 19 years old having a drum solo and just in front of hundreds of thousands of people and just killing it yeah and, that, and that's something like I, I really appreciated about a lot of these performances is just the the high level of musicianship mm-hmm combined with the high level of intensity all these musicians are bringing to these performances you've already had 10 years after and then after this i think it's sly and the family stone it's just like everybody's just like kind of everything's kind of jammy and loose but like it's tight at the same time it's just yeah Uh, because you you know there aren't as many rock bands these days that that can jam like like they were doing at the the tail end of the '60s. It's it's pretty awesome to watch, especially with the the multiple <laughs> screens going on where you you see each musician just rocking the fuck out. It's pretty intense. I'm trying to think if I put together my own Woodstock, John Stock. John Stock. <laughs> <laughs> 
just sounds like it's my stock that I own. Yeah. Uh, what would be good bands to have that can really jam? Gotta have like my morning jacket. Mm-hmm. I don't like them, but fish. <laughs> Why not? <laughs> jam stock. Jam stock. Yeah. Eight days long. Yeah. It's got ten bands. I just don't know <laughs> that many bands these days that can jam. It's hard. Because it kind of became a thing that just wasn't cool after after the classic rock era. More more and more bands were just like, we're not going to do guitar solos. That's that's passe. But, yeah. But this next thing makes me happy, and you already mentioned it. Sly of the Family Stone. Oh, yeah. It says that they dance to the music, and I want to take you higher, but I only remember I want to take you higher. But I guess they did both. Me too. I think those are wrong. Which PA, you're wrong. Yeah. They only played I want to take you higher and then did like a chant with the crowd. Yeah. And, he, and like, Sly Stone's like, I want everyone to do it. <laughs> everyone. Yeah. I wonder if everyone did do it. It's, it's really hard to know because it's completely dark in like the middle of the night when they do this performance. Yeah, these night performances are pretty cool because they're very like sparsely lit. <laughs> it's it's very striking. There's something about people performing in like what looks like a void, but you know, there's like the most people there. Yeah, that is a very interesting vibe. I totally forgot that Sly Stone played Woodstock. Like I was like, what? oh, okay, yeah, cool. Yeah. So that was a total surprise to me. It just goes to show that Woodstock wasn't just it wasn't just jam bands. I mean, they had all sorts of stuff. They had R and B. They had they had folk. Uh, they had Bobby Shankar. Thank God we had, didn't have uh, to sit through a, a long raga. Some Latin rock with Santana. Sure. They had everything. And I'm glad they did because, like, this is amazing for us. They kill it. Yeah. A lot of fun. Love it. Uh, next, we get another director's cut performance. Mm. Work Me Lord, Janis Joplin. Yeah. Yeah, I always liked Janis Joplin. I just, I, I didn't know this song. And I don't know. It It's kind of not fair that it comes uh, towards the end of the film when we've already watched like a lot of drawn out bluesy numbers. Yeah. So it, it doesn't quite have the effect. I, I don't know that it, it could have had if it was earlier in the, the documentary. But, you know, it's always, it's always good to see her, especially when the, she died like a year or two later. But, uh yeah, love you said Janice. you hadn't heard the album of the song? No. I mean, have I'm... you seen the title of it? No. It's pretty great. Uh, you have to see how it's written to really appreciate I it. I got... <laughs> yeah. You know, I've it, seen that album title. I got dem old cosmic blues again, Mama. And cosmic's with a K, and it's dem, D-E-M, old. Yep. Came out after death. <laughs> uh, but man, yeah, if you're going to do, like... A, or like a festival like this in 1969 you gotta have Janis Joplin yeah I feel like all the posters I've seen of Woodstock like the main posters from 1969 usually have her and Jimi Hendrix at the top hmm. so I guess they were big draws for it so it was it was cool to see it but yeah it was definitely like when you when you, when you sat through like 200 minutes <laughs> and an intermission which call an inter-fucking <laughs> can they do that? I, th- I think they can yeah. Uh, it was it was tough um, yeah and then we get to earlier I said aside from Crisis Ash one other artist that I just face of Woodstock Hendrix man yeah. damn straight uh, what's cool about watching the director's cut is I think there's a couple extra 
like the, I think that uh, set is stretched out a little bit. Like mm-hmm. uh, Voodoo Child's Light Return, which I don't think is in the original film. Mm. And of course, Star Spangled Banner, probably one of the most iconic <laughs> uh, things performed at, at, at Woodstock. Purple Haze. Yeah. Um, as he's wrapping up, too, you get to see like the aftermath of Woodstock. <laughs> and I kind of want to like know more about that because that place was a fucking shit show. <laughs> yeah, just see people picking up tons and tons of garbage, throwing it in a pile. You know, considering that the free love generation, you assume they would be like very earth friendly, and they <laughs> fuck that place up. Trash that field. <laughs> like, I was reading about like Max Yasger. It was like he got like fifty thousand dollars to cover the damages. Mm. He was so chill about the whole thing. I didn't mention that he like spoke at one part. Yeah, he's like, "You kids are all right." <laughs> like, and I was reading about how he like he was giving out everything he had for free. Mm. Because he was one of those old people that's like, I want to bridge the gap between young people and old people. And something we didn't really touch on that I really liked with the documentary is the interviews with the town. Yeah. Living in Bethel. There's one guy that like owns a restaurant and he's like, well, I'm all right with it. I'm doing the best business of my life. Then, but then there's that one guy who's like, they're all on the pot. Yeah. They're all on the pot. And then these less like starts arguing with some other guy. He's like, "Who cares if they're on the pot?" It's like maybe if we were on the pot. Yeah. Things be... I was like, "Wow, that's pretty progressive for the time." Sixty-year-old. <laughs> also, why is everyone in Bethel one hundred years old? <laughs> <laughs> I think it's it's so funny that they had. It. I guess because it's farming country. You know, yeah. Older people live in those kind of communities. So it must have been so wild to have all these hippies roll into this old farm town. Um. Some of my favorite interviews, the the chief of police was like chill with Woodstock, which is really cool. But my favorite interview for some reason was with the Porta John, the Porta Sand guy, the yeah. guy whose job is to fucking go to the porta potties and suck out all this shit. <laughs> Just because like that dude was so positive, and he's like, I got a son here and I got another one in Vietnam. It's like, whoa, that dude is living like the ultimate nineteen sixty nine <laughs> timeline. You have a son at Woodstock and a son in Vietnam. Yeah. It's like an Oliver Stone movie, man. Where's Port of Sand, a film by Oliver Stone? <laughs> We're waiting, man. That guy's a hero. Uh, back to Hendrix, though. What band is he playing with in this? Ooh, I, is it I a don't... band of gypsies, or is this something probably, before or after that? It's probably around that era. Because I didn't, I couldn't even tell. Was that even Mitch Mitchell or whatever his name is on drums? I don't know. I I assumed it wasn't. I assumed the uh, the experience had broken up by now. But I'm I'm not super well versed in the like 1969 to 70 era well, of know Hendrix. Of the, the band of Gypsies band, and those guys didn't seem like they were there. So this was like mm. some transitional, just some backing band. Okay. What I love about watching Hendrix is he always makes everything feel so effortless. This was Gypsy Sun and Rainbows. Thousand, thousand back in bed. Yeah. Like what what Hendrix does on guitar is so good, but he just makes it seem like it's not hard. Yeah. Like this is just another gig, whatever. I'm just I'm just chilling. I'm just slinging on on my guitar, fucking making sounds that no one's ever made on the guitar. Was this one of the shows where like he did the LSD rag on his head? I feel like I I'd mean, know that if he was. He had a rag on his head. <laughs> you hear about like I used to do that, right? If I'd like cut 
little like little like incisions in his forehead supposedly yeah. and then drip like um a bandana and LSD around his head straight to his brain. I have heard that. That does not sound healthy. Yeah, I mean, you wonder why some of these guys, you know, God bless them, died young. Yeah. <laughs> Probably shouldn't be having LSD going into your brain. Oh my God. Um, but yeah, he's amazing. I had an action figure of this performance. <laughs> <laughs> you know performance is iconic when they make an action figure out of it. Yeah. <laughs> Or should I say inaction figure? You can even make it rock out. Ugh. It's like a statue. What a, you can take the guitar out of his hand, though, so he's just holding there. Like he's just standing there with the peace sign. Man. And his sweet white fringe with the white fender. Well, no, it's, it's quite a thing. And it, it's interesting that it's maybe the most iconic performance, but it seems like he only did it to maybe a few hundred people. Like, the crowd has definitely dissipated by then, and it is the, the morning after... Yeah. The festival About should have ended. On the last it's a day. it's a Monday. These these hippies got to get back to work, I guess. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean that's, that's the interesting thing about watching the film is they they cut back and forth between Hendrix and then people cleaning up, so you don't really get a sense of how many people were there. And I yeah, I wouldn't be surprised to hear yet there wasn't like anyone there. People were just falling out, <laughs> which seems insane in retrospect. Yeah, I don't but know. But I guess, yeah, it was just a long, <laughs> it's a hell of a thing, man. They didn't know Hendricks would be dead next year. I didn't know. But I mean, it's okay because we got it all on um, all on film. I believe Mike Wadley like, made like a short, or like participated because he obviously shot all that footage in like a little short film that was just the Hendricks performance. Like, you can mm. buy that whole thing on its own. Yeah. And I bet it's pretty kick ass. <laughs> so, what, what a way to go out. Um, and then we got earning credits with Woodstock the song. Uh, yeah. It's a, a banger, man. Crosby Stills and Nash version. I got, I got, I got more to say on that when we talk about our artists that didn't play. <laughs> yeah. Oh, and then because we watched the director's cut, we had the uh, the find the cost of freedom post credits bit, which was a long <laughs> list of all the people from the Woodstock generation that had died. Uh, to Crosby Stills and Nash's find the cost of freedom. And you could, for some reason, tell it was added in the 90s. There's something about, like, I don't know, yeah. the typeface or just something. I was like, this is definitely a 90s edition. Yeah. It really stood out to me. Not in the best way. But, I, you know, they're just paying their respects. Mm-hmm. So that's nice. Uh, so, yeah, that's, that's everything we see in the film. And we didn't really touch on all of the interviews with just random people, spectators. I don't know if we want to touch on any of that. I will say one thing that I found interesting is you always assume everyone that went to Woodstock is just like, oh, hey, man, whoa, dude, I'm so fucking high. There's a lot of people that are just like, regular people are just like, it's crowded here. I can't see anything. It's too crowded. Yeah. I remember there's, there's one lady, she like starts crying because she's having such an unpleasant time. Yeah. And I, I appreciate that they put that in the film where it's like, clearly this movie is a little bit mythologizing this event but at the same time it's showing you kind of the reality of anytime you get this many people together you're gonna have some problems not everybody's gonna be happy i think actually a couple people died over the course of the weekend i can't remember i wouldn't be surprised it didn't really sound like there was much in the way of like food or water security enforcement i think someone got run over by a tractor i think 
don't, shit. I don't remember how the other person died. This sounds like a mystery for Paul Giamatti baby. That's <laughs> <laughs> a solved He's a, he's a detective now also. Yeah. It turns out it's one of the guys hiding in Sha Da Da. But no, that's terrible. That's uh, it's too bad. Yeah. Um, uh, I mean, uh, you know, but it sounds like it mostly went well. It wasn't like Altamont. Yeah, I mean, it is, it is all things considered a miracle that uh, this whole thing was able to kind of maintain this positive, optimistic vibe throughout the weekend, despite like it just kind of coming together by the seat of its pants. It's it's still pretty cool, even though a lot of it is uh, I don't know, just indicative of baby boomer bullshit. But <laughs> it's almost like watching this movie, you kind of understand the the hippie frame of mind, where you're just like, oh, they just wanted peace and love. That's not such a bad thing. Which is kind of an interesting counterpoint after watching uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood the other yeah, week, yeah. where you're just like, uh, hippies are scary and weird and. Fucking murderers. We're learning a lot about hippies this summer. Yeah. <laughs> it's interesting. This happened, I believe, the weekend after the Manson murders. Right, that, yeah, because I think the Manson murders was August 8th. August 8th. 15th. So nobody knew that it was hippies that committed the murders. Yeah, they just knew that, uh, that Sharon Tate and her, her friends had been murdered. But oh yeah, it's it's... it's crazy this like this being kind of the pinnacle of the the hippie movement and then in 70 with the manson murders and altabon it just kind of kind of fizzled out um quite a thing all right so artists omitted little section here that we can check out are you gonna name all of them or just the notable ones i don't know i mean most of these like they're um, like, it makes sense looking at them right now either they're because I've never heard of them. Yeah. Sweetwater, Incredible String Band, Burt Summer, Tim Harden, Ravi Shanker, of course I've heard of. Melanie, I've heard of. Quill, Keith Hartley, Mountain, but this is pre-Mississippi Queen Mountain. Yeah. They did not play Mississippi Queen, <laughs> so I get why they wouldn't be in there, because, like, that's their defining song, man. Yeah. I think one of the more surprising ones is The Grateful Dead. Yeah. I'm not sure what happened there. I think it was something did some technical thing. Um, yeah, I heard they still played for like a billion years. I yeah, or at least they were on stage for a very. I'm long just looking time. at the schedule, and it says their set was cut short after the stage amps overloaded during <laughs> "Turn On Your Love Light," which is kind of their really long song at that point. What's funny is I know that their long, slow performance was uh, part of the reason that. Creedence Clearwater Revival didn't want to be a part of the film or the soundtrack mm. because I was I was trying to find this out because they're one of my favorite bands. I've seen footage of them playing and they were sounded great, <laughs> but John Fogerty was just like, yeah, you know, the crowd wasn't into it. Grateful Dead had taken forever and everyone was just super tired, and I think that made them kind of pissed off. <laughs> and. Uh, and, and, and John Furrier was like, yeah, and you know, it was late, and I just, I don't think we really had it. Even though they were amazing, like, I was watching, I don't, I don't yeah. know. So, it's, it's crazy <laughs> to think that Credence, who was probably one of the more successful bands in terms of, like, record sales at that time, maybe one of the most successful bands that played at Woodstock, wasn't yeah. in it. 
And you kind of got to assume there's not a ton of live footage of them during their peak. Yeah, there's some, but yeah. Yeah, not as much as there probably should be. Because it was so it was such a brief window of time. It was like yeah. 1967 to 1970, done. <laughs> it was at least like six albums. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, that's kind of a bummer, but... I mean, at least... I mean, it was their decision. It wasn't like some other thing. So, mm-hmm. talk to them. The band, I think you touched on their some sort of management issue where they just wanted more money or something i think the band also were kind of down on their own performance and so they didn't want it included i don't know if it's even been released or at least the the footage of it hasn't been released i'm sure the audio is available um but yeah it's too bad because the weight seems like a very appropriate song (laughs) for woodstock that seems like it'd be pretty cool yeah and yeah, a few other artists, uh, Blood, Sweat, and Tears, Johnny Edgar Winter, Paul Butterfield. Don't know. not Don't really care that much. They're out. I've never been super into those acts. Paul Butterfield's okay. Yeah. Um, I don't know, man. Okay, so... Unless you have anything else you want to touch on. Before I get into it. Let me check my notes. Well, you check, uh, check your notes just for a second. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to grab something. <laughs> I heard my phone buzz. I want to see if it's the, if it's the ghost of Jerry Garcia. Hey, man. We're rocking up here in heaven. <laughs> I bet the ghost of Jerry Garcia is pretty nice. Yeah. He seems like, for a guy who was like a walking slob and fast heroin addict, heroin addict in the world, he seems like he was very nice. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I got nothing. Okay. Because, uh... Something I wanted to touch on that I thought was fun that I, I, I looked a little bit into, maybe you read a little bit about this too, was the bands that turned down Woodstock. Mm. That's fascinating to think because they, they yeah. didn't know that they were turning down a historical moment in music <laughs> history. Um, I'm trying to think if I should just... I'll just go in any random order. It doesn't matter. Uh, Jethro Tull turned down Woodstock. Good. <laughs> Ian Anderson said, and this is a quote, I don't want to go because I don't like hippies. And I'm usually rather put off by naked ladies, unless the times are right. What a fucking nerd. <laughs> That's like the most neck-nerdy nerdy thing I've ever heard. <laughs> I'm usually rather put off by naked ladies, unless the time is right. Fuck you and your, your fucking pedophile also, song. <laughs> Go to hell. Also, I don't like hippies. Like, who's probably the number one fan of Jethro Tull oh. in 1969? Yeah, you gotta play to your base, man. It's bizarre to me. Um, Jeff Beck group turned down personal issues. That's fine. Mm-hmm. Okay, get it. Led Zeppelin was offered Woodstock. That's crazy. Uh, their explanation for why they did not play is they were in the middle of headlining a tour. They uh, were doing a show at the same time as Woodstock in Asbury Park in New Jersey. Do you think and a young Bruce Springsteen was there? <laughs> yeah, he was there. He got inspired. <laughs> He caught. Uh, that's a, that's Jimmy, another story. He caught Jimmy Page's double guitar and threw it out to the audience. Like, Thanks, man. <laughs> no, and like he reached up, and he broke off a chunk, and he got one part of it, and that became the guitar he uses today. Whoa! This is just in the movie, though. Yeah. Up with. 
if we had to make a shitty Bruce Springsteen movie like all these movies that are coming out like Rocket Man, <laughs> what would you call it? I feel like it's got to be called Born to Run. I, didn't they already do that though? Well, his autobiography that just came but no, out. I, did, I think Born didn't they just make like a movie about a kid who's like I'm super inspired. I Bruce think that's called A Blinded by the Light. Okay, and I know you you're right, and you can't call it Thunder Road because it's a movie based around the song Thunder Road. But yeah. Born to Run. I think you could do or it. Born in the USA. Yeah, the other one. Uh, love to see that man, Adam Sandler. He's up for it. He could be Bruce Springsteen. <laughs> ben Stiller can also be Bruce Springsteen. Oh yeah, he's just de-age him with Irishman technology. A good Bruce Springsteen. <laughs> That's gonna be the trend. Uh, but yeah, back to Led Zeppelin. They said uh, they didn't want to do it because they were um, headlining their tour, and if they played Woodstock, they'd be just another band. Mm. Clearly had no clue what it, how big it it's was. It's also crazy that they were thinking in those terms, even though it wasn't just their first album out at this point. Yeah, they weren't. They weren't super huge. They were popular. But I mean, they, they had the they had the aspiration of being the hugest band. So, ever. Yeah, a little arrogant. Definitely. Yeah. Um, this next one is pretty funny. Iron Butterfly turned it down. <laughs> no, no, I just start singing "Sunshine of Your Love." They're they're pretty similar. How good would that have been? But that probably would have lasted like a day. That song is so long. Uh, But what I found funny about Iron Butterfly is they had too many demands. Because they had just gotten popular because of the Inagata DeVita album, and they wanted a personal helicopter. Mm -hmm. They wanted to be paid immediately. And they wanted to choose when they got to start, and they'd start exactly at that time. Yeah, I feel like that they were like weirdly big just because of that, that song and album. Yeah. Yeah, I can't name a single other. I've heard that album. It's yeah. okay. <laughs> that song is amazing. That album is okay. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, it's crazy. That's that's pretty funny. I'm trying to think of what would be the equivalent of an artist who had like a really big moment and then like what? It'd be like if like uh, was his name Robin Thicke. <laughs> Like demanded all these things, and you know it's 2012 or whatever. Yeah. And then years later, it's like, what? I'm a thick one and all that. <laughs> uh, the Beatles. The Beatles. Uh, a couple theories. Um, I'll let you decide which one you think is more likely. <laughs> uh, John Lennon was down, hmm. and, but wanted Yoko to play her own thing. Hmm. Or the other scenario, uh, they didn't want to because they just weren't really a band anymore and didn't play shows. <laughs> Actually, probably both. Oh, yeah, because August 1969, this is like when they're wrapping up. This is when they're recording Abbey Road, right? Because they didn't announce right? they were broken up until 1970, but they weren't doing anything in 1970. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, I wonder when exactly Abbey Road came out. Because I know the last time the Beatles were ever together, like, as a unit making music was um, doing She's So Heavy Yeah. for Abbey Road. And Abbey Road came out in September... <laughs> So it wasn't out yet. So people didn't know, but it's pretty much They're pretty much done by that. They recorded um oh they were in they were in the midst of recording it. They were still recording it. Okay. During Woodstock. Hmm. But yeah, I mean those sessions were kinda in <laughs> Yeah. That would be pretty cool if yeah. the Beatles had to play. I don't even know what their set list would have been like. No idea. They just would have whipped out a bunch of blues jams. They hadn't played a <laughs> Played lives in three years of that. I guess point. it would have been like kind of like I, I bet it would have the vibe of the rooftop concert, kind of yeah. the songs they were working on. 
Um, you know, they're probably not going to whip out like Sergeant Pepper's Lonely Hearts Complaint. <laughs> um, that's interesting. Uh, Rolling Stones. Yep. Mick Jagger was filming Ned Kelly. The iconic Ned Kelly. I don't know what that is. It's a western about the Australian outlaw Ned Kelly. Alright. And I think Keith Richards had recently had a child. So that's fair. Like, anytime there's like a reason like that, I'm like, okay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. Um, Joni Mitchell, but she didn't turn it down. She wanted to play. But her manager said, I need you fresh for the Dick Cavett show. It's a couple of days later. Yep. <laughs> I've actually seen that, uh, a bit of that episode, too. Mm. And it's crazy because Stephen Stills and David Crosby are there. And it's like they played the sock <laughs> and they showed up. And they performed, too. I think uh, Stephen Stills played 4 and 20. And apparently she was just so devastated. And that's yep. why she wrote Woodstock, the song. Mm-hmm. And I guess Graham Nash kind of recapped it for her and then she wrote it. Hmm. I've never heard her version, actually. I have. It's uh, actually like the um, Crosby, Stills, and Nash version better, even though I love, love, love Joni Mitchell. But, the lyrics are great. Yeah. It really paints a picture. Yeah. But it's kind of, yeah, it's a pretty sparse kind of piano ballad, her piano, version. I would have assumed acoustic guitar. But yeah. Interesting. Yeah, too bad. Um, I'm sure it would have been great. Uh, the Doors turned down Woodstock. Um, they were too drunk. They were too drunk. Uh, <laughs> the reason was they'd already played Monterey Pop, so like, you play one festival, you play them all. Yeah, even so though the, the Who and Jimi Hendrix played Monterey Pop, but they did this too. Fun fact, John Densmore, the drummer for The Doors, went to Woodstock just to oh, hang nice. out. Yeah. You can see him on stage during Joe Cocker's performance, just mm. hanging out. Interesting. I bet he was like, we should have <laughs> so many people that must be even weirder than not going at all going without your band and be like fuck I want to play with my band right now yeah. I think the doors could have been cool I would have liked to see that that would have been that's definitely like a band where they could really just like they play the end that would be what that would be in this alternate universe where the doors play Woodstock their part in the film is them playing the end um yeah they, they definitely seem like a very late at night artist oh, in, yeah. in, in these sets. Night, man. Yeah. Maybe Jim Morrison's doing some poetry. Something about Indian Grave. <laughs> so let's talk about Indian Grave. <laughs> uh, and the last one that was very weird uh, Roy Rogers, the cowboy star, who I guess sang sometimes, was offered to close Woodstock. Mm. Um, so he could do the song Happy Trails as everyone was leaving. Yeah. Uh, Michael Lang, that was a personal choice. Uh, but Roy Rogers' manager said he didn't think it was a good idea. <laughs> I think he was right. If there's one manager that stepped in and made the right call, <laughs> I think it's Roy Rogers' manager. Yeah. If instead of Hendrix, Roy Rogers in his cowboy hat came up and his bolo tie to play Happy Trails yeah. to no one... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know. That's like getting one of those townspeople to come up and do a song. Yeah. You know, Roy Rogers is like, you kids are all on the pot. <laughs> well, anyways. I don't know. I'm seeing a few other artists here oh, that really? didn't make those it. Are just uh, some of the ones I found. Yeah. Well, I, I see also the birds were invited. Really? Which is weird because, you know, David Crosby is playing hated, with Crosby, Sills, and Nash, and he had just left the birds like. Not even a year before. Dude, that's weird. It's like how pissed Roger McGuinn have been to not play Woodstock. It's yeah. Like he's made for something like that. It 
looks like uh, they just thought it was any other music festival, so they weren't I mean, interested. How can you know? How can you know it's going to be any different from Monterey Pop or any of these other things? Yeah, and I guess the other one, which doesn't seem like it was it was ever going to happen, but I think the whole festival, everybody was like, "Is Dylan going to show up?" Is Dylan going to show up? Oh, I forgot to write down Bob Dylan. Yeah. I do have Bob Dylan in my notes. I skipped right over him. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, I have some notes on that. Uh, His first thing he said was, his kid was sick. Yeah. Everyone's like, bullshit. (laughs) (laughs) Your kid's sick. Yeah. Are we talking about Jacob Dylan? (laughs) Which kid are we talking about? I don't know. Maybe. But also, I read that he was just, for the most part, kind of annoyed by the hippies. Yeah. Even though, again, like, I feel like hippies love you, man. And also, this would have been a period for him that was kind of similar to the Beatles, where I don't think he was really playing live anymore because he had that motorcycle had that accident in '66, and then yeah, he was just wasn't playing live for a while, so that probably added to it also. It would be pretty cool though if he came out. Yeah. In disguise. Yeah, I mean, it's really hard to complain watching this movie because it's just like. Once you, once you get towards the back half of it, it's just like artist after iconic artist just bringing it. And you're just like, oh, yes, these guys now. Um, yeah, this is a great lineup. Yeah, I mean, I see for anything. Regardless. Yeah. So, uh, so, yeah, man, they killed it. Uh, so, I don't know. A future episode, if we'll do Woodstock 94 or Woodstock 99, those don't really sound like they went as well. Yeah, I mean, Woodstock 94 seemed f- fine. Is that the one that had the mud fight? That, that had the that most fun, mud of any of the Woodstocks, it seems most like. Fun. I was watching Green Day's performance where people are just, like, flinging mud chunks at the stage, and at one point, a big mud chunk just hits Billy Joe Armstrong's guitar. But he's on phase. He just keeps playing the song, which is impressive. Um, and then 99 seems a little... More infamous because there's a lot of sexual assaults yeah. and yeah, bonfires, f- fucking limp biscuit induced angst. I guess wherever you wherever you turn, um, and it, yeah, it just seems weird that they tried to do Woodstock in the '90s because it seemed like a, a generation that was like clearly in opposition of the hippie peace and love thing they were they were the irony detached <laughs> slacker generation and then by the time you get to the 90s you've got like the rap rock angsty fuck my parents stuff it's just like it doesn't really gel with with the woodstock vibe yeah uh it, it might be fun or not fun fun is a bad choice of words uh, it might be interesting sometime to do uh an episode on gimme shelter Oh, yeah. Um, a, a documentary that we watched as teenagers that I had no idea at the time what it was. I remember we rented it, and I was like, it's a Rolling Stones thing. I like bands. I got it from Hollywood Video. Let's watch it. Only to find out that it was, you know, it's this uh, event that's considered, like, the death of the hippie era. Yeah. Which is the Rolling Stones playing at the Altamont Speedway. Um, who else was that there? Flying Burrito Brothers. Yeah, I think the Grateful Dead the were there, Dead, too. Grand Parsons, too. Or you may have been in Flying Burrito Brothers. But yeah, yeah, not as impressive a lineup. Yeah. But uh, it's whole sloppy event, kind of gritty, kind of gross venue, and then the security is the fucking hell's angels. <laughs> yep. And someone got stabbed, I think, and killed. Yep, in the middle of a performance. 
so in yeah, the audience. Let's have Woodstock again. And then, oh no, God, no. Yep. So, and that was what, 1970? I think so, yeah. That was the death of it, man. It's too bad. But I mean, we have Woodstock, though. We have that moment. Mm hmm. You know? It's a shame we couldn't capture it with Woodstock 50. <laughs> yep. Everyone's, everyone's back to loving that stuff. The angst is gone. Yeah. Embrace the boomers. Embrace the boomers, because they still run the world. <laughs> still run the world. Can't live with them, can't live without them. All right, and I guess that's it. I guess we we got all of it, right? We got it all? I think so. Thorough enough. Uh, yeah, check it out if you can. Um, if you got, you know, four, four hours or whatever to kill. <laughs> and uh, if you like this podcast, you can check out other episodes of Rock Talk by going on to iTunes and searching Rock Talk, that's R-O-K-K, or searching Mildly Pleased. You can also go to our website, mildlypleased.com, and find this and other episodes of Rock Talk and other podcasts. And we'll see you next time. At the hall. Let's go to the house.